Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Thailand is a country that many people know. Chiang Mai, Bangkok, Phuket, Koh Samui. You've likely heard of all those places. Well, today, we're not going to talk about any of those. Today, we're going to talk to someone that's lived here for more than two decades, plan trips for the rich and famous across the kingdom, and find out where he thinks some of the lesser-known spots in Thailand are that you should also know about and start thinking about on your next trip. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me as always is... Hey, Scott. Trevor Ranges. I'm excited to have Dan on the show with us. Um, I've been friends with him basically as long as I've been friends with you, and uh, his and my paths have crossed across the region, and uh, he's one of the few people who who is definitely going to drop some knowledge on me today. I know that Dan's got some lesser-known gems that... Uh, even you and I may not be aware of simply because he's so passionate about uh, the region and, and travel and uh, and the culture and sharing it with others. So I'm, I'm really stoked for this. Yeah. So the whole idea of this series we're now getting into, we did Lesser Know in Japan with Mark not so long ago, as we realized that we're often talking about the mainstay places and things to do in a lot of the countries. So why not dive a little deeper into these places and think about the people we know that really know them. So we're looking forward to diving in a, a lot deeper. And just for everyone listening, remember, Trevor and I keep the show going out of the goodness of our hearts. It does cost money, and we sure would love your financial support. You can do that by clicking donate on our webpage or going to patreon.com, sponsoring the show from as little as a dollar or so up a month. And in return, you'll get a little video or a short little bonus episode that we put in between each of these ones. So then you don't have to wait two weeks for something from us. So what else do you think before we bring Dan in there, Trevor? I want to thank everybody for donating to the show, listening to the show, and uh, I'm stoked to get uh, Dan in here and, and let us know what he knows about some great areas of Thailand that he's been exploring recently and over the past two decades. Our guest, Daniel Fraser, is a very well-known foreigner in Thailand. Not only does he run one of the region's most respected luxury travel companies, but he also hosts a television program, Speaking in Thai No Less, and is regularly called upon by organizations across the country to host events, consult on tourism projects, and more. You could say he's one of the go-to people when those wanting to truly experience the kingdom are planning a visit. He joins us online from his home in Bangkok. Hey there, Dan. Hi there, Scott, and hi, Trevor. How are you guys doing? Great, and delighted to have you on the show. Hey, Dan. Great, thanks. Well, yeah, I tell you what, I, I just mentioned this. You guys have been at this for a number of years, and everybody says they want to do a podcast, and everybody says they want to journal and blog, but you guys have stuck with it and done 140-some episodes. Kudos to you. Very impressive. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Hey, thank you. And it's great that we finally got you on the show. Also, for people who may not know Dan well, he travels a lot and actually getting to talk with him in his home in Bangkok seems like quite uh, a special occasion as well. It's a bit of a novelty, isn't it? Yeah. 
So it's going to become obvious pretty quick that you and I have known each other for quite a while, Dan, but hopefully most of those listening maybe don't know you so well. So when did you first move to Thailand and what brought you here? Yeah, great question. Well, I first came to Thailand back in 1995 while I was a university student studying in the USA, even though I'm Canadian like yourself. And I had this one in a million opportunity to uh, work essentially in the royal family's private school in Bangkok as a English coach, English tutor, and taught a little bit of uh, leisure tennis and things like that at the school as well, which I wasn't even a great tennis player. But that led to a a bit of a love affair with Thailand. And I came back several years later with a friend of mine, Canadian guy you've heard of, Scott Coates, to ah. build a travel company. And the rest is a 20-some-odd year work in progress. Yeah, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to know both of you for most of those 20 years. And I've been impressed by both of your work and travel as well and, and the Smiling Albino experience, which I think is amazing. But Dan, how over the past 20 years has your appreciation of, of traveling in Thailand changed. Like people ask me often if I'd been everywhere yet and I, I haven't, there's provinces I haven't seen. So do you still love and, and appreciate and are passionate about, about exploring Thailand? Absolutely. It's a great question because people assume that you get a little bit uh, too familiar with a place and, and you start uh, losing the passion for it. But I think it's because I think all three of us are similar in a sense that we're, we're incredibly culturally curious and I've, I've been lucky to pick up Thai language fairly well over the years. And I think that has made travel a little bit more interesting to me because it just means you want to dig in more to where you go. And the last few years I've been uh, hosting a TV documentary series that has taken me to all these places that I never knew. I never knew right in our own backyard here in Thailand. And I have many moments where I feel like Hmm. that 25 year old kid, traveling around, exploring new places, even though it might be just a few hours from Bangkok. So yeah, the passion is there. The flame has not burned out and traveling Thailand is more exciting to me now than, than probably ever because I'm, uh, I think so much better at navigating the cultural landscape and finding the hidden gems locally than I would have been. Yeah. That's fantastic. Not many people can love the job they do for a couple of years, let alone a couple of decades. So for everyone listening, can you tell us a bit about this travel company, Smiling Albino? I'd love to. And you know a great deal about it. But uh, Scott Coates and myself moved here in the fall of 1999 with the, at the time, quite a visionary idea that's still visionary. And it was to bring high-end, exciting travel down to ground level and avoid mass tourism and avoid group tours, but do things that are truly off the grid, off the beaten track, but making guests feel like they're traveling with their best friend in a in a city or a province or an island in, in first Thailand and then Southeast Asia. So we started it with a shoestring budget with great support from a lot of family and friends. And over the years, started attracting a fairly discerning clientele uh, and then started working with international travel companies in places like New York and London and, and LA and Toronto to pre-pandemic just before the pandemic, we had probably combined 60, 70 staff in Thailand and about 15 or 20 in Vietnam and another 10 or 15 in Cambodia. And we were doing trips for everybody from royalty to Hollywood celebrities to billionaires and adventurous families and people that just wanted to travel differently. And I guess that's the theme is see a different part of the world differently and come away with real value. So the pandemic's been absolutely catastrophic for any travel company, as you well know. And uh, we're, we're coming out of it slowly but surely. But um, again, the passion to keep driving that mission to just in, 
improve the way people travel, improve the way people experience a destination is at the heart of Smiling Albino. And I'm still having fun doing it. Incredible. And you were a foundational yeah, part of that for 13 that years. Way. When Scott left Smiling Albino, I think that's when we started up the podcast because we both wanted to kind of keep our travel spirit alive and uh, on a number of occasions. So I know that you're often in the field and particularly in Thailand where you've been exploring a lot lately. So how did you yeah. decide on, on the lesser known Thailand spots you were going to share with us today? Are these some places that you've recently discovered or you think are just long overdue to be discovered? Yeah, it's a collection of all of those things. It's largely indicative of where I've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of years. There's there's a bit of an Isan, Northern Thailand focus, but at the same time, places that I've been to sporadically over the last decade or so that just haven't changed. They've always stayed really authentic and real. And they're places that I always wondered why they didn't have more visitors and probably logistics is the reason. But it, it's a collection of everything. And some of them are provinces, some of them are actual villages and some of them are just general areas within a province so there's a, a real collection here and i think what's cool is there's something for everyone there's something for the adventurer there's something for the family there's something for the the high-end cultural traveler who wants something a little deeper and i think that's the beauty of thailand is just so rich it's such a great cultural mosaic that you have so much content to work with it was hard to narrow it down to just a few places fantastic well we're going to start with i see you've named a province that you and i cycled some of about a year and a half ago. So Lai, tell us about Lai. Why did you pick it? Yeah. And why should people have it on their radar? Absolutely. Lai, and I'm going to give the whole, the entire province of Lai because it's a multiple time visit. Yeah, I don't think you could do Lai in one trip. You and I cycled through a good third of it a year ago, and we were just blown away with the absolutely stunning beauty. So first and foremost, Lai is a province that really is the bridge between Isan northeastern thailand and northern thailand it's the it's the best of both of those cultures it's very isan but it's also got that the northwestern part of the province bridges up into utaradit and then eventually up north into uh nan area so loy is two parts northern thailand two parts isan it is one of the most mountainous provinces in thailand so <laughs> as you and i saw on our bicycle trip there are absolutely spectacular mountains that I would say almost rival some of the great mountains that you see in places like Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, albeit smaller. And at the same time, you've got the Mekong River, which obviously Chiang Mai does not have. You've got really charming ethnic communities, which people are often surprised to learn about. There's there's Thai Dam villages, there's Putai villages. You've got arguably one of the most charming little towns in Southeast Asia, which is Chiang Khan, which is a reason to go in and of itself. Um, and in addition to that, via my television series that I, I've been fortunate enough to shoot, I've done a lot of episodes in Lai where we discovered places again that I never knew I never knew, even though I'd been to Lai a dozen times. And those include uh, a really fantastic series of caves in Karst Mountains called the Potisat Cave, which is about 45 minutes south of the city of Lai. I like to call Lai a, almost a, a lesser known Chiang Mai because it's got virtually everything you can do in Chiang Mai from rafting to biking to trekking to just incredible roads for motorcycling to charming towns, to forested communities and rivers. But uh, it's got, a, I would say, a hundredth of the tourism of Chiang Mai. And as a result, it's, it's got far less infrastructure. So it's a, it's a simpler kind of place. And I think, Scott, you and I stayed in a oh, fairly charming but simple guesthouse homestay type place near, near Chiang Khan. And, and yeah. you can't really expect a great deal of luxury. But Loi, to me, has it all. 
It really has the best of Thailand, the best of both worlds. And it absolutely should be on people's radar. One more thing about Lai that's very interesting. People go to Lai for two or three of the highlights. And I haven't even included those highlights in my summary of Lai. But the highlights to a lot of people is a mountain called Pu Kradung, which is a, an early morning trek or a half-day trek, and people camp on top. Uh, I have been there. It's beautiful. It's an amazing site. It's the highest point in Lai, which is also one of the coldest parts of Thailand. Hmm. But I also feel like you can do great hikes and great overnight camps in, in Chiang Mai and Chiang Dao and Chiang Rai and Mehong Son. Lai is more than that to me. So I focus on the small towns down in the valley, along the rivers and along the rice paddies for the real Lai charm. Very cool. Everyone knows the town of Chiang Khan, which is one of the storybook towns of the late 1800s, uh, right across from Laos on the Mekong. Beautiful wooden town with two or three streets and just all the buildings are wood. It's just a, a charming movie set type town. But Loi has several other towns similar to that that are lesser known and, and equally fabulous. Um, okay. Pak Chom is one of them, which is about 40 kilometers from Loi. Uh, sorry, from uh, Chiang Khan. And it's one of the most beautiful. This little- is painful for me to listen to. No, sorry. Yeah, you're just adding more fuel to my fire wanting to go visit Loi. And you didn't even mention the Pitakon yet, the big ghost festival there that that is so fascinating. But just everything you've mentioned, you can't see it all on multiple visits, and I have yet to make my first. So I'm pretty jealous of that. Well, very good for you to bring that up, the Pitakon festival. That is one of the other bucket list highlights that people do when they go to Loi. Pitakon is an amazing experience in the town of Dansai, but there's another version of Pitakon, which predates Pitakon by a couple of hundred years, called Pikonam, which is a uh, an very animistic uh, animal spirit ceremony that a lot of people don't know about, even people that have been to Loi and seen Pitakon. And there are two or three villages up in the highlands of Loi who are still preserving these traditional spirit shaman dances. They're quite dramatic and surreal, actually, to watch. And again, this is something that's unique to Loi, these dances where villagers dress up as all these arcane sort of forest animals and buffaloes and cows and wolves. And they do these quite fantastic, aggressive, uh, dramatic dance. And again, I didn't even know this until my fifth or sixth visit to Loi, that there's a lot more to the local spirit worship and spiritual performances than just the famous one, which is uh, which of course the TAT anti-tourism have done a good job of promoting. But uh, I think the key here is that Loi has a lot of layers and a lot of spirituality and a lot of fun and festivity that uh, if you hang around a little while, you can you can really appreciate why it's such a unique province. And it should absolutely be on people's bucket list. We're trying to promote it as much as we can for uh, the next year or two. Well, you've sold me on a repeat visit. Great. And I know you're a cyclist, and I highly recommend one of the great roads in Thailand, which goes from a place called Wang Sapung all the way southwest along the southern uh, ridge of Loi, which is the Pu Luang Parkway. Uh, that is one of the roads that I think God carved out for motorcyclists and bike bicycle riders. It's a it's a gym. Staying along the Mekong, are we going down to the beach? What's your next destination? Well, interestingly enough, and there's a, there's a bit of an Isan focus on the first two places, obviously. We are going down the Mekong to the southernmost point of the Mekong, where the Mekong finally leaves Thailand and slides into Laos for good. And that is a fantastic town. So the first one was a province, Loi. second one is a little town. It's almost a village called Kongjiam, Kongjiam in Ubon Ratchatani province. Mm. And 
This is a shout out to a small town that you could cover on a bicycle in about 15 minutes. And it's the, the town is known as Kong, like the Mekong, GM, Kong GM. It is one of the southernmost points on the Mekong River where the Mekong River blends with another river called the Moon to form this quite interesting geological area that locals refer to as the Two Color River, Menam Songsi, they call it in Thai. And it's really quite interesting because all along the Mekong in Thailand, you don't really see the Mekong join other rivers. There's a small point of the Golden Triangle where it does, and then there's another point in Loi where it branches off into a river. But this is where the Mekong splits, with, or joins with another river, and then slides into Lao. And it is a really, really beautiful little town. Kongjiam is almost like a mini version of Chiang Kham. Lots of wooden buildings. It's a, it's a tiny town, almost like a French design. It's built on a grid, which you, you don't see a lot of those in small towns in Isan. Virtually every house on the two or three blocks in and around the Riverside Peninsula are traditional wooden shop houses that there's no ugly signage and big advertising and neon. It's, it's very cute and traditional. There's a real architectural vernacular that's been maintained there. And again, you can cover the old town in about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, probably on foot. And this is the slow, the ultimate slow life. I mean, Lai is slow life, but Kongjiam is you know almost deep deep freeze slow it's really <laughs> chilled out and you can sit on a hammock along the mekong and all these lovely little shops that are doing you know, fried uh, seafood and grilled fish and cold beer and nothing much happens but it is one of the most beautiful points that thailand has along the mekong river which covers many many provinces as you well know but kongjiam ubon ratchatani gets my vote as thailand's best Mekong experience. So viewpoint views are superb. Now, within a short drive of this town called Kongjiam, there are several highlights that I think anyone visiting Eastern Thailand needs to visit. And one of them is called the, the Patam National Park. Okay. Where there's some prehistoric cave paintings that uh, go back uh, several thousand years, over 5,000 years. And not too far from that is a geological phenomenon known as the Sampan Bok, or essentially 3,000 holes, which is a incredible collection of holes in rock, sedimentary rock, along the banks of the Mekong River that you really have to see between November and June. And it's, it's a really fantastic natural phenomenon that you feel a bit like you're walking on the surface of the moon with the viewpoints of the Mekong all around you. For some people, I think that's, that's a journey in and of itself, is to take a boat up the river and see the Sampanbok, the 3,000 holes. Hmm. And, and again, that's, that's just one of the things that's in and around Kongjiam. I think what's also cool is that southern Isan, as you probably well know, is where you have the magnificent Khmer, Khmer-style ruins that you'd see in, in places like rural Cambodia. Right. Uh, Ubon is that easternmost outpost of Thailand where you see the last of the Khmer ruins before the borders of Laos and then the southern side Cambodia fit in. So there's some mm -hmm. great 11th and 12th century Khmer ruins that are not as grand as Phnom Rung and Pimai and of course, you know, Angkor Wat and those great, great ones in Cambodia. But when you consider that you're just a stone's throw from the Mekong and a short drive from Khmer ruins, as well as, you know, brilliant national parks and forested roads that are also superb for hiking and biking, you really have a lot. You've, you've got a lot of content. And, and I think staying in okay. Kongjiam for several days is worth it, especially for people that 
don't necessarily need to travel point A, point B, point C and stay, you know, one night in each place. If they right. want to stay several nights in Kongjiam, you can, and you can do day trips and do all of the things I mentioned, including, of course, some great sandstone ruins that are that are not far from the town of Kongjiam, just a little bit north, a couple of hours, Drok. Uh, Drive, sorry, is the Kamarat village, which is another heritage community on the Mekong, and it resembles Chiang Kai a little bit. Okay. And the other cool thing about Kongjiam, it's not too far from the border crossing that goes into Pakse into Lao at, at Chongmek. So it's really great for people that want to stay a few days on the Mekong in southeastern Thailand and uh, eastern Thailand, I should say, and then cross into Lao. You've got Khmer culture, you've got Lao culture, you've got Thai Isan culture. And again, what I think is one of the most beautiful little towns on the Mekong. That is a total hidden gem because it's not easy to get to. Everyone I know who's been says, yeah, that's a charming place. I'd love to go back there. So it always gets my vote for a must-see hidden gem. Accommodation runs the, the gamut from quite simple homestay type places, you know, the two-story wooden house with six rooms that are that are charming and runs, you know, everything from, you know, 500 baht or $20 up to 30 or $40 a night, right up to there's a couple of really nice boutique hotels that are, I would call them adequately four-star, but well-run and charming and in absolutely incredible location right on the Mekong called the Tossang Hotel. But here's the, here's the upsell for the luxury traveler, for people that want to splash out a little bit. There's a sister private villa connected to the Tossang Hotel called the Sedapura. And it is a true, beautiful, private luxury villa with three different uh, buildings. And that ranges, not to use your name in vain, Trevor, but I would say that ranges between $200 and $400 a night, which in a town like Kongjiam, you'd be surprised to get such luxury. But yeah, they're beautifully designed. Definitely surprised. Yeah, but they're beautifully I'm not designed. Surprised, so it's a good one. I'm not surprised though that in Thailand there's those kind of options. See, this is one of the things that I think is great. Like you're picking a very lesser known place and it's beautiful, but there's still comfortable infrastructure, whether it's staying in like a traditional house that's still going to be clean and comfortable, or whether it's like yeah. options for mid-range or luxury villas, like there's some great places for anyone to stay. Absolutely. And the same goes for Loy, as I previously mentioned. There's a fabulous luxury villa that we just rented privately a couple of weeks ago for a, a guest that, again, it rivals some of the great luxury private villas of anywhere in Thailand, right down to very charming local guest houses and family-run hotels. So Thailand is yeah. really, really well-stocked for mid-range and charming lower-end accommodation that even higher-end travelers can appreciate for a few nights, maybe before yeah. moving on to other luxury and, and other parts of the country. Just to get some yeah. cultural interaction and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and see a part of Thailand that hasn't, hasn't been developed like the, the mainstream areas, you know, like the Hua Hin and Pattaya and even, you know, Chiang Mai, Phuket. These places are so far off the grid that you feel a little bit like it's a time capsule. You are stepping back in time somewhat, and uh, that's part of the charm. Well, you've mentioned that place to me before, and you have me more excited than ever. And, you know, we've talked about this earlier in the show is after being here a couple decades myself, there's still so many places to go to. So speaking of going to, what is your next lesser known gem? Yeah, thank you. We're going to move away from the Mekong and go up to part of northern Thailand that everybody's seen on a map, but very few people have actually been to. And that is the province of Pre, P-H-R-A-E, Pre. Sounds like Pre, like mm. Pre, Eat, Pre, Love. Pre has two or three communities that are fabulously charming and, and picturesque. But I give I give a mention to the entire province because I remember going through Pre 
about probably 2006, I was traveling around Northern Thailand looking for motorcycle routes for some clients. And I drove through the province and through the city, capital city of Praia. Most Thai provinces have a city uh, by their own name. And I remember thinking it was really beautiful. It was green and forested and lush and not a lot of cities. So it's mostly forest and, you know, small towns all spread out. And I didn't notice anywhere interesting to stay in the town at the time. This is 15 years ago. But I remember driving around the town and being almost awestruck with this spectacular old teak wood buildings that I have to say I hadn't seen in some of the other more popular places in Northern Thailand that we, you know, we were familiar with. Certainly Chiang Rai and Chiang Mai have lovely old wooden buildings, but Pre is a teak wood, 19th century teak wood capital in and of itself. It's where great teak barons built fabulous homes and manors. And it's almost like the Thailand version of the great antebellum mansions, but they're much smaller and they're made of teak and they're fabulously artistic because they were run by families and, and clans and, and rival businesses that were trying to one-up each other, but also really add to the heritage of the community. And Pre is littered with these fabulous, fabulous old wooden schoolhouses, um, heritage homes, museums, you know, the former governor's mansion is just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful series of buildings. And I thought, what a shame, there's nowhere really cool to stay in Pre. But thankfully, in the last few years, there are some uh, very charming, and again, nothing five-star, but some very charming guest houses and some great boutique hotels right in the town of Pre, in Pre Pre. I think now with that, it, it is very much worth a visit just to admire the teak wood culture of Thailand's, you know, great teak empire in the in the 19th century. But Pre, it doesn't really stop there for Pre for me. Okay. Scott, you and I know because we cycled through Pre a fair bit about a year ago. Right. There are a lot of small towns within 20 or 30 kilometers of the main city that also have great charm. And I think anyone who lives in Thailand or, or Southeast Asia, it's all who you know in these locations that brings it to life, right? Anybody can go and stare at a rice field in a little community and say, well, this is great, but what do we do here? And Pre has a couple of really lovely communities. One of them is called Nahuha, which almost sounds Japanese, Nahuha, but N-A-K-U-H-A, Nahuha. It's about 30 minutes from Pre town, so it's obviously in Pre province. And it's got one of those really fabulously beautiful, charming bamboo walkways that stretches out over a series of elevated rice paddies, uh, terraced mm. rice paddies. And if you visit that between June and October, November, I challenge you to find a more beautiful place in Thailand. I mean, it's surrounded by mountains. Wow. It has beautiful green terraced rice paddies and a brilliant one, almost a one kilometer circle route bamboo elevated walkway through it with a, a fabulous Buddha. And then right behind that, is a very charming little community with a creek that runs through it, uh, stone footpaths, and then a school, which the football pitch in the school is also surrounded by mountains in either direction. And you just think, wow, what an, what an awesome location to be a villager or a student at this school. Visiting alone is cool, but, but the little village also has a lot going for it in terms of biodiversity. And it's one of the only places in Thailand where you can see people doing traditional indigo dye the cram version of mm. indigo is in Sokornakorn, but here in Nakuha, it's the hom version. They, the hom plant is a, a type of plant that grows under the moist forests with a, with a forest canopy. They still do this in Nakuha. So it, if you want to get your tie-dyeing textiles 
deep indigo in the forest Zen moment, Nakuha is one of the best places in Thailand to do it because they're doing it in the old, unfettered, uncompromised, no chemicals. It's very traditional and they very do. charming. And again, you'll be you side to side with it. old ladies. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not easy to find. It's that's why it's yeah. <laughs> looking on the <laughs> map. You know, and Prey is not that far from Loi. You know, this part of Thailand that's kind of the the northeast, I guess, along yeah, the Lao border, right. including Nan. Like you guys have biked around that area, but I've always dreamt of exploring those parts of Thailand just because you know there's some ancient kingdoms here. I think Prey might have been one of the early three pre Sukhothai, pre Chiang Rai kind of seats of power, even. It has an interesting prehistory, certainly before it was part of the Lana Kingdom. And I was just going to add one thing about Praia Town, is there's no railway station. 30 minutes north and 30 minutes south of Praia, there is a railway station. But every other major town along the railway in Northern Thailand does have the railway right in their own town. And to me, hmm. it tells a little bit about the backstory and the intrigue of the way Praia was very, very self-governed in the 18th and 19th century and quite wary of being annexed by either Chiang Mai or by Bangkok. And so when the state huh. railway, which is obviously Bangkok run, wanted to annex land to build the, the uh, stations, the barons and the lords of Prey uh, ensured and insisted that it would not come right through the city to potentially create a power imbalance. So, And to me, that just adds to the intrigue of <clears throat> this wonderful town and these great teakwood mansions and the, the kind of backstory of how Prey remains so independent and so uh, so different from the rest of Thailand in that, that area. So it's a very charming town and charming villages nearby, well worth visiting for anyone that's been in northern Thailand, especially if you've been to northern Thailand a lot and feel like, you know, I've been to Chiang Mai, I've been to Chiang Rai, I've seen it all. Well, Prey has a lot of culture in the city and a lot of beauty up in the mountains. So put that on your list. And I bet that train that doesn't go right through town still goes through some beautiful countryside uh, wherever it drops you off. And then the, the transfer into Prey Town is probably pretty spectacular. So I think if we mm -hmm. kept you on uh, the show here, you could probably talk all night and share 101 lesser known spots. But I think you've already given our listeners several vacations worth of amazing Thailand experiences already. So why don't you pick one of your last ones here and give us one more great lesser known thailand gym I, I will do and and again yeah I, I get excited about these things i could probably go on all night but in the spirit of trying to add some some context and some color we'll move right down to southern thailand to a place that's really grown on me over the last few years and that is songkla in the deep south songkla which obviously is the capital city of songkla is hadiai but songkla province is very beautiful but the old town of Songkla is, to me, a hidden gem that should be on everybody's list if they have any interest at all in southern Thailand's beautiful mix of Thai, Thai Chinese, Malayu Chinese, Muslim from different parts of southern Thailand and Malaysia. All of that can be found in Songkla, the old town of Songkla. Some of these other lovely old you know chinese influenced southern towns have been well documented and are, are quite well known i think everybody appreciates the beauty and significance of phuket old town but songkla really holds its own it's it's a lot smaller than phuket old town it's definitely not nearly as commercially developed so you do feel like you're walking through a bit of a living museum in a time capsule so think of three or four streets intersecting one another along a 
riverfront where old Thai Chinese shop houses are, are cobbled together with fresh markets, fish markets, waterfront houses and shops that are selling everything from fresh coffee to you know Chinese buns to traditional Malay type snacks. There's a really cool art scene in the old town of Songkla with some great galleries from uh, local artists that are trying to preserve the traditional way of life. In addition to that, it's got, it's got, as you've seen in a lot of places in Thailand, it's got a really great graffiti scene with some fantastic graffiti and street art that is more than just Instagrammable. It, it really tries to tell the story of the early settlers and some of the early waves of uh, Chinese migration in the 16th, 17th, 18th century that came to Songkla. And Songkla itself was a very prominent trading port in the south of Thailand, which means that there's a, a commercial backstory and some families and some buildings of significance that, again, add a lot of depth and cachet to this little town that you could cover you could cover on a bicycle in 15 minutes. So the old town of Songkla for me is a, is a real gem. And people might think, well, can you really spend multiple days there? Well, yes, you could, but you don't have to. And the reason is Songkla is also close to some really quite fantastic lakes. Um, I've been kayaking out in the lake in Songkla. It's one of the largest freshwater lakes with a very interesting fishing culture. There's mangroves, kayaking through mangroves, planting seagrasses and, and mangrove trees, yeah. sustainable fishing culture. Very charming. It's a little bit of Krabi, a little bit of Trang, a little bit of Phuket all rolled up in one. But people don't go to Songkla for beach. They go for culture and they go for food. Absolutely. If you're a foodie and want to hit a great southern Thai town for food, Songkla is it. It's one of the great little food towns of the south and an, un an unsung gem, I think, in the culinary world. Super jazz. <laughs> Sounds really exciting. You do such a good job painting a picture of all these places. And if you're up for it, we're going to have to have you back for a second episode because I know you had more on the list. Before we let you go, Dan, can you tell people a little bit about your TV show? It's pretty interesting and, and how they can maybe see a bit of that. Yeah, thank you for asking. It um, The show, we started doing a show in 2011 called Long Groom, which was on Thai PBS. And the idea behind the show was uh, me as a Canadian who loves Thailand, traveled around it and got involved in all these you know, village capers and learning about it's different stuff. parts of Thai culture. Now, the show that it morphed into in about 2016 is called Long Rakim, which in Thai loosely means charmed by the smile or in love with the smile because thailand is known as a land of smiles and we had been doing that right up until the middle of covid when a lot of the state enter enterprises who support the show had budget cut back so at the moment it's not on tv but you can see lots of probably 200 episodes that are up online on sanfa.com s-a-n-f-a-h.com sanfa is a tv company that Okay. is the studio that runs it. Um, and at this moment, actually, we're doing a, a whole series of English language content, actually, for the for the Thai government on a show called The Edible Story Thailand. And this is the first time I've done real TV episodes in English, which is a bit, it's a bit foreign and bizarre, actually, <laughs> being, being with a Thai crew and then speaking English. I always get confused. But the idea of that is it's called The Edible Story. We travel around to 10 different unique locations that have a, a unique food story to tell. And I get in the kitchen and meet the chefs and go to the farms and kind of learn about the history and the culture of the food. It's called The Edible Story. And again, that'll be on that website called sanfa.com. But Facebook also has regular updates about the show. If you go to Facebook slash Long Rak Yim, which I'm going to 
destroy the spelling, but I think it's L-O-N-G-R-U-K-Y-I-M, Long Rack Yim. Um, yeah, it's been fun, and we hope to be back after COVID bears its last goodbye. Hopefully that's not too far from now. No. Thanks a ton, Dan. Uh, man, you are conquering on many fronts. Uh, it's impressive, and thanks for joining us. Well, like I said to you guys, I'm impressed. Uh, I, consistency is half a victory, and you guys have been at this for 144 episodes, which everybody says they want to do a podcast. Uh, and you know the hard work that goes into it. And your true core believers, they like your content, and I have listened to a lot of shows, and I've got a lot of value out of it. So keep doing it. Thanks. I hope we can travel more and talk less in the, the coming months. Uh, I'm pretty excited about visiting <laughs> some of these places. I have a Thailand trip overdue, and I know that Scott's got some Thailand travel plans queued up, so uh, maybe we can visit some of these places you recommended. It's not out of the question. Wow. You know, it took a while for us to get Dan on the show for a variety of reasons, uh, mostly because he's on the road so often, but uh Good stuff. You know, I didn't expect anything less, but uh, he has found some amazing places in Thailand um, that people should listen to and visit, I believe. Yeah, I have, I've known him for a super long time. We went to high school together and kind of didn't have him on the show because he and I worked together so long traveling. But what amazes me beyond the travel is those 300 episodes of a TV show have exposed him to, you know, people that make fermented rotten paste that goes in Somtam. Or <laughs> he was telling us he just drank some yeah. cold pressed liquid from a buffalo's gallbladder. So he has truly gotten his hands in everything in every corner of the country. And he does such a wonderful job of painting the picture of these places. Like I literally get excited and I've lived here 20 years. Yeah, I think what the insight is, and I used to joke about this when I was a travel writer, is that like you have to experience so many other things that you wouldn't necessarily recommend to 99% of the people in order to discover that one thing that's perfect right. for that lesser known gem experience, you know? So, like, you know, that if the things he's choosing to mention, of all the things he's experienced, they're definitely worthwhile. Yeah, and the thing that all of those trips lend themselves to is the kind of travel where you're happy to go somewhere, be there for multiple days, and stroll around to sit down and just watch things go by, to read a book somewhere cool. And I like that kind of travel. We rarely do it as travelers because we feel we got to see all these things and tick them off. But just going one place that's kind of quieter and soaking it in for a little while... I'm kind of really getting sold on that kind of travel and all these places really sound like that to me. Yeah. You know, I think like when he mentions like, Oh, it's like Chiang Mai or something like that, you know, and mentions the tourism and, and the, that infrastructure differences. I think that's really it. Like if you go to a place and where you stay in your hotel is catering to tourists, you can't really just sit back and enjoy yourself or enjoy the atmosphere because that's not what it's meant for, you know, whereas if you're going someplace that's a little off the beaten path where they're in Thailand, it's great that there are different options for staying in a quaint little place, but that the community is, is authentic. You know, that word kind of got overused for a while, but I think that's what we're looking at here is authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to have to have him back again sooner than later, maybe in just a few months, because we have seen some of the places he had in the list that we didn't get to. So yeah, I got excited. Anyone listening, 
if you've been here a couple times or even if you've never have make one of these places a stop on your journey it was a lot of fun to have dan on remember if you like the show give us a five-star rating or whatever that top rating is wherever you're listening to this on also consider supporting the show and getting a little bit of bonus content in between each of these episodes which our patrons get go to patreon.com or click donate on our website and help trevor and i keep this thing going Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?